0: To your favorite award winning health and wellness radio show, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I am your host, Dr. Carissa, and I hope that you are having a fabulous morning. Thank you so much for joining me uh, on this Thursday morning as we are broadcasting live from our studios here at WWE Real 1100 AM. Alrighty, so as we always do, We are going to start with our shout-outs, and I left my list at home today, so I'm going to just say shout-out, first of all, to my number one fan. I always remember that. Hey, Mom, how are you doing? I hope you're having a terrific morning this morning, and uh, if you are listening from whatever city you're listening from, thank you, thank you, thank you so very much for joining us today and every Thursday, Uh, and What we usually do is shout out your city. So if you are listening uh, from anywhere today, um, give us a shout out. We are always on Facebook. Give us a shout out and we will shout out your city next week. So we're going to go ahead and get right into your You Need to Know segment. So, what we do with this segment for those of you who um, don't listen on a regular basis or have not listened to us before is we, um, I give you just kind of a little snippet of about four or five topics that are happening in healthcare news this week, um, just to kind of keep you up to date as best I can. How about that? Alrighty, so. You need to know. Flu season is around the corner. It actually is here. Um, And I will tell you that we actually diagnose flu even in the summer. Um, But, of course, we make a big push for uh, flu vaccination Uh, in the fall, of course. And so uh, flu vaccines should be available at your primary care provider um, very soon if they're not there already. Um, And the CDC estimates that the flu resulted in approximately 9 to 41 million cases of infection, 140 to 710,000 hospitalizations, and around 12 to 52,000 deaths every year between 2010 and 2020. And I know that that is a huge range of numbers, right? And so the accuracy uh, may or may not be there. Um, But the the range is so wide, because so many people when they get the flu, um, you know, they they just take care of themselves at home, right? So they don't seek, um, they don't seek medical care or anything like that. So, So that's why that range that those numbers range um, range so much. So get your flu vaccine. So in in previous years, um, the previous two years, I guess I would say, is, um, you know, the flu has not been as as bad. Why? Because we had COVID. So COVID did not take the place of the flu. But what were we doing during the pandemic? We were staying indoors, staying away from people, wearing masks when you were out, and washing our hands. And we know that flu is spread by respiratory droplet droplets. So either when you cough, talk, sneeze, um, anything like that, then you are, are spreading that. But when we were all wearing our masks and not really going outside, um, you know, of course, that cut down on, on the transmission of flu. So flu season hasn't been as bad um, since COVID came around. But nevertheless, get your flu vaccine, please, please, please. Researchers at the Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute in Melbourne, Australia suggest that mild to moderate intake of ground, instant and/or decaffeinated coffee should be considered part of a healthy lifestyle. And that two to three cups a day may protect you from cardiovascular disease, stroke, and early death. Now, as a coffee drinker, that made me very, very excited. Um, I usually just do one cup a day, but, you know, I may, may throw in a second cup if it's going to protect my heart because, you know, I want to be around a long, long time. So now, so if you are a coffee drinker, drink up, enjoy that, right? And I don't know if the coffee growers of the world sponsor that study or not so you know there may be a little bit of bias there not sure but it sounds good so i'm i'm all for it now what should you know about sleep loss and inflammation a recent study co-authored by dr cameron mcalpine who is an assistant professor of cardiology and neuroscience at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, showed that chronic sleep deprivation in a small group of otherwise healthy adults increased the production of immune cells linked to inflammation, which could predispose those individuals to autoimmune disease and other chronic medical conditions. So we know the value of sleep, right? And, and we know that most of us are are cutting corners when it comes to our sleep. So we're not sleeping enough. We're not getting good quality sleep. And then we're trying to oversleep, for example, on the weekends when you can sleep in and and that kind of thing. We're trying to overcompensate uh, for our lack of sleep during the week. That's not how it works, by the way, but that's what we're trying to do to overcompensate for that. So, you know, definitely want to make sure that you take a, a good look At what your sleep habits are, and you know, do some research on what they should be. Um, In our first season, we had a sleep expert, Dr. Julie Grant, on talking about the effectiveness of sleep as it pertains to teenagers, Um, but you know, I may have her back on the show to talk about. Uh, us older adults are more seasoned people, how about that, more seasoned teenagers, um, and how sleep plays a part and, and can become important in our lives as well. So do make sure that you all are getting good sleep because it is it is tremendously important. Next, the drug Icanimob and I may be be mispronouncing that, please forgive me, which is made by drug makers Biogen and Isai, which is a Japanese company, uh, is shown to slow the progression of cognitive decline by about 27% when compared with placebo. The drug is currently in phase three of clinical trial. And so, um, you know, phase three is when they are, you know, studying this drug in actual humans. So they've gotten out of the laboratory and animal models and so on and so forth. Um, and actual humans are, are being studied with this drug and a large number. Uh, so when we talk about clinical trials, there are usually four to five phases um, of a clinical trial with, um, you know, once you get into stage two to three, um, you are using human subjects and using a broad swath and larger number um, of human subjects um, once you get into stage three, stage four. So, you know, this sounds sounds very, very promising. Of course, I don't know what the um, what the downsides or the the side effects Uh, Were with the study, because I haven't seen the data myself. This is just a reporting of the study. Um, The Alzheimer's Association, however, has made very, very hopeful statements about this drug, Um, and they state that, quote, for people in the earliest stages of Alzheimer's, this treatment has the potential to change the course of the disease in a clinically meaningful way. Um, So, of course, if it is slowing the progression and you take this drug earlier in your disease, um, the implication and the hope is that it will take longer before you get into the later stages of Alzheimer's. And so, therefore, you will be able to individuals um, with Alzheimer's would be able to um, have high functioning uh, for a longer period of time. Um, you know, once they are diagnosed, if they use this drug. So, you know, that it sounds very, very promising. And I hope that it really does turn out to be um, as good as it sounds uh, for right now. Because, you know, as you all know, Alzheimer's is just such a a devastating uh, condition. And lastly, in You Need to Know, a new study shows that the COVID-19 pandemic may have changed our personalities. Covid nineteen, of course, as you all know and remember, changed everything about us and about how we operate. Right? It changed how we work, how we socialized, where we went, what we did. Right? And you know, you get the point of of how how dramatic um, those changes were with during the pandemic, especially during the high points of the pandemic. And so, you know, what this study is showing is that the pandemic was an unprecedented opportunity to see how a collective stressful event and the stress reactions that came from that um, may impact personality. The study showed a significant decrease in extroversion, openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. Um, and so, you know, those are all good things for us to have as we relate to our friends and neighbors in our communities and in the world at large. And so, of course, as we were forced to stay inside and stay inward, um, the more expressive facets of personality uh, seemed to have been dampened. It's unfortunate, and you know they. The study did show that you know this was more impactful in our younger populations because, of course, their personalities are still in formation, and so when we had all of this isolation that had to happen, um, you know the cognitive connections um, that form positive personality traits uh, were dampened. And there's no um, there's no report on. If those uh, connections can be once they are once they are formed, um, you know, are, do they catch up or 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 not? We don't know that yet. So that I, I thought that one was was very, very interesting and wanted to share. So that's it for you need to know for this week. Uh, I am Dr. Carissa Hines, your host of your favorite health and wellness radio show, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And we will be right back after a break
1: just for pets wellness center reminds old-fashioned health listeners and pet owners to never leave pets unattended inside a parked vehicle not even for a quick errand temperatures can rise to dangerous levels fast Visit our website for more information at www.just4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. I'd like to tell you about InMass.com. InMask.com is my only source for non-surgical cloth masks. I've teamed up with InMask.com to create and design a collection of limited edition masks. These masks are washable, reusable, breathable, and most importantly, fashionable. Shop online now at InMask.com. That's E-N-M-A-S-K-S.com for quality masks made in America. Wash your hands, avoid sick people, and touching your face. This station and the Beasley Best Community of Caring want to protect your family. Get everyday prevention tips at cdc.gov COVID-19.
0: Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to your favorite award-winning health and wellness radio show, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I am your host, Dr. Carissa. And today we're going to be talking about telemedicine and health equity. And, you know, of course, if you've been, um, you know, tuning in to any uh, conversations, especially during the pandemic Um, you know, during the height of the pandemic, they talked a lot about health inequities. Um, And I didn't really see a whole lot about what that was. So we have an expert that will be on the line with us shortly um, to tell us what that is. But I'm going to try and demystify, if you will, a little bit of this. So... Um, you know, equity, in, and in particular, in particular, healthcare equity. So, whenever there is conversation about equity, there are two other concepts that ha- that have to be discussed: equality and justice. Because the three of them um, kind of coexist together, if you will. So, equality is when everyone gets an equal share right? Um, This concept is somewhat problematic. You know, of course, we talk about, um, you know, you hear a lot about, particularly in politics, about equality, women's equality, um, you know, LGBTQ plus equality. Um, But equality, and it sounds good, and it sounds like a thing that we should do, right? Um, But it becomes a little bit problematic in, in this way. So depending upon the deficiencies of each individual giving them an equal share may not make them equal, right? So I'm reminded of, the, there's a graphic that floats around on the internet that you see, and there are three people and they are trying to look over a fence to watch a baseball game. And each of them has a step stool that is the same size. So equality, they each have been given an equal share. Well, the person that is is relatively tall you give them a little bit of boost they see over the fence just fine right the person who is of maybe middle height they still have to get up on their tiptoes to see over the fence and the person who is short still can't see even though you gave them all um, the same opportunity to view this baseball game right so Equality doesn't always put people, put everyone on par with each other, even though that is the goal. So, you know, equality is very, very well intentioned, but the result is not always is not always um, what we hope for it to be. So then we get into equity. So equity involves giving each party what they need to truly be equal. And in some cases, some will get more, and some will get less. But at the end, everyone's solution is improved. So I'll take you back to that graphic of those three individuals trying to look over the fence to watch this baseball game. So the tallest person doesn't need as much of a boost as the shortest person. So the shortest person gets a bigger stand to stand on, a bigger box to stand on, so that they can see over the fence the the person in the middle gets a bigger stand but not as big as the shorter person but they get a bigger box to stand on so they don't have to stand on their tiptoes anymore to see over the fence and of course the person who is the tallest may get a smaller stand because they could see over the fence to begin with anyway right so they didn't need as much help so now this becomes problematic um especially when you're having conversations about someone getting more and someone getting less. So then, you know, that conversation goes into, well, who's going to get more and who's going to get less and who's going to decide who gets what. And I think I should have because da, 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 da. Right. Um, so that is, is the problem with equity. You know, that's when you get into, um, the human conditions of, um, perhaps greed and and selflessness or selfishness. Um, and, And so those things come into play. And then the last part is justice. So justice involves addressing inequity at the root cause, right? So that the barriers that cause the inequality, that cause the inequity, those barriers can be removed for everyone. So I, I like justice myself. That, that sounds great because justice is forward looking, if you will. So that, that's the, the quote unquote problem or challenge, um, with justice, right? Because it really may not do a whole lot for the people that are here, but does great things for the people in the future, right? Because if you're already short, you're short there's nothing that that can be done about that we can't undo that or make you grow taller unfortunately i say this as a short person um but going down the road in the future your future generations may grow tall enough to see over the fence by themselves because you've removed whatever barrier there was to you not being able to see over the fence Maybe justice looks like there is no fence, right? So everybody can see the game. So we've talked about this in terms of height, right? Um, so what does this have to do with healthcare, care and how does this apply? Well, we will have our guest expert on the line in a few minutes to help us understand how complex this is and, and what solutions we may have. But first, let me introduce her. Our guest today is Dr. Arcada DeRuin. She is a triple board certified, That's 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 heavy right there, but okay, I'm going to continue. I'm sorry, I got excited. She is a triple board certified family diversity and lifestyle medicine physician. She serves as a thought leader in healthcare innovation. She is passionate about merging the human aspect of medicine with the field of emerging technology. Dr. DeRuin believes in putting people first. She has been able to utilize her gift of listening, communicating, and connecting the missing pieces to solve complex problems. She finds joy in mentoring, as she believes that one should always share their gifts to uplift others. Dr. DeRouin hosts a pre-med and medical student-geared podcast to expand the amount of people that she can mentor called The Perspective Doctor. She also is a board member for Girl Develop It Incorporated, increasing the number of women and non-binary people in tech. She has an upcoming TEDx Talk where she will be exploring how to improve healthcare teams. Medical Minutes family, please welcome Dr. Arcada DeRuen to our show. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Good morning.
2: Good morning, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me to come and talk, guys. Thank
0: you so much for sharing your expertise with us. And first, I want to know: Am I pronouncing your name correctly?
2: Yes, de Rowan
0: de Rowan there we are. All righty, so we're going to get right into talking about health equity and, and we're going to throw a little bit about telemedicine in. So now, what is health equity and, and why should we care about it? Why is it important?
2: Health equity is so important because... It's basically us receiving the best care for everyone. As we're all familiar, especially with the light being shown with the pandemic, mm-hmm. healthcare isn't the same for everyone. There are a lot of disparities and barriers, a lot of times, kind of unfortunately placed upon us due to race or sexual orientation or disability or social economic status. Mm-hmm. So, Like you were saying earlier, we have to advocate for health systems to make it more equitable. Like a lot of times we try to say that we want to have the same. But like you were mentioning earlier, everybody doesn't need the same thing. So we have to figure out how to move these systems that are in place that are kind of pushing people back and causing people for especially for African-Americans. We're known to actually pass away from all diseases at earlier ages. Right. Like that's crazy. Like so we have to work in figuring out how to decrease these barriers. I know a lot of people talk about the social determinants of health and how different factors in different people's lives can affect the kind of life that they live, not only in terms of where they can get into the doctor or, or when they're gonna be seen and treat their medical conditions, but even things like what kinds of food they're eating and what other things that kind of go into mm-hmm. a person's like livelihood and, and length of life. Mm-hmm. So it's very important for us to chat about that.
0: Very good. Yeah, indeed. So now give us, cause you, you kind of touched on that a little bit, but give us some examples of inequity in healthcare.
2: Oh, wow. that We need like three <laughs> hours to talk about that, but I, I'll try to give a few examples right. of inequity in healthcare. I know, A popular topic that we talk about is maternal mortality rate. Mm -hmm. So black women have, like, they are so much more likely to pass away than white moms and black infants. um, They have 2.3 times the amount of infant mortality as white infants, with everything being the same. Right. Right. So there there are some things that we need to look into and figure out why and dive in deeply and see what is going on here. And exactly. even with things like the pandemic, we when it was earlier going on, we saw that people who of color were not getting access to the same Amounts of vaccines and things mm-hmm. like that, that other communities were. Exactly. So so there's just so much out there where there are a lot of disparities.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, there was, you know, a, a disparity in access to testing even. Mm -hmm. in communities of color. And so, you know, you can take it back even further, you know, looking at these medical deserts and people may not even Mm -hmm. realize that they live in a medical desert. So, you know, I'll I'll piggyback on on those great examples with saying, you know, if someone lives somewhere where they don't have good public transportation, but they don't have a car. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to get to the doctor to begin with? So it doesn't even matter if they, you know, if you have access to one, you can't get there. And we have communities that have um, food deserts. And, you know, Mm -hmm. here in Atlanta, you know, there is what I'm afraid will, will happen with one of our major hospitals closing in a few weeks, that that will create enormous health inequity because the people that live in that community and access care from that facility will have to, one, find other places to go um, and and actually get there.
2: Absolutely. You know? There are so, there's so yeah. many barriers with that because even now people... You can't take off work as much with the right. pandemic some people have had to take additional time off for having covid or different things like that exactly. so if you add these extra barriers where it's even further to get in you don't have child care you you don't have the money for gas with the rate of inflation so if they were already having difficulties getting to somewhere that was in their area if you take that access away and move it to somewhere else There are going to be tons of inequity. And then on top of that, if you're moving a hospital into another community, if you're transferring all of that, they'll already have that patient population there. So the wait time will increase as well.
0: Exactly. And and that's that's what I'm afraid of will happen here, that the two existing hospitals that are in the Midtown area will, um, you know, will be even more overrun than they already Mm -hmm. are. Um, you know, yeah. and so you know when we talk about you know the system being being quote unquote fair or unfair, you know even setting that aside, when you look at just the the logistics of numbers, so many of these healthcare systems have fewer workers mm-hmm. due to the pandemic, so that will create a healthcare inequity that has absolutely nothing to do with your race, color, creed, you know all of those things. Um mm-hmm. just the simple logistics logistics of uh, you know of the human capital within the workspace within healthcare So now, what are some possible solutions for um, addressing healthcare care inequity?
2: There are so many different possible solutions for addressing healthcare care inequity. I think first and foremost, a lot of people talk about, our social determinants of health, where we can look and we can say, okay, if we're living in this certain neighborhood, how can we increase that economic stability? Mm -hmm. How can we make it safer? How can we provide better education systems so that our students will have better opportunities to go out and make more money and get well-paying jobs? How can we, like you were mentioning, the food deserts, Increase the amount of grocery stores in our environments, as opposed to corner stores and things where we can't get healthy food. Right. How can you have more food markets and those kinds of things where people can go to the farmer's market and get fresh fruit and things without a lot of pesticides? Mm-hmm. Like how can you have these community support systems? And then how can you have these health systems in your neighborhood? We should be building more, not taking away. Exactly. But in order to do all of that, we have to address those political determinants of health. Mm-hmm. So, none of these things can be done without voting. I know a lot of people are probably tired of us talking about voting or saying things right. aren't as different as they were with Biden than they were with Trump or those kinds of things. It doesn't really matter to them in their community because there's still violence or there's still healthcare disparities, but it does matter. So, we are in an election year mm-hmm. where we have to vote because the votes that we do and and the people who make those decisions as we're seeing as certain governors and different things who are in your communities are making these decisions actually leads to the policies that we create and we push forward that affects each of those things that we talked about so if we don't have a governmental organization and politicians and all of those people we don't like to talk about or we think that they're too far removed from us in our everyday lives like they impact our lives daily. So if we aren't picking these candidates who are looking at our best interest to help keep us healthy, to get us out of these food feathers, to get us better paying jobs so we can get that gas to drive an extra 30 minutes out because our hospital system left right. to build hospitals in our communities and to keep our doctors there, yes. even with you talking about the hospital closing, a lot of people don't necessarily think about what makes the day-to-day hospital run and that's residents who are mm-hmm. they're already doctors but they're still in training and when you remove hospitals like that they don't have anywhere to go so right. we're not building up that community of doctors for us and especially in the black community where black people make up only about five percent of the entire workforce of physicians we need everyone we can get, even exactly. though physicians like there are 95 percent that needs to be our allies. So even if you're not a doctor of African-American descent, we need to be having you in these systems where you can learn how to support black people and be culturally competent. Yes. So we need to train you in these underserved areas, because if they're not exposed to our culture and us and the needs that we have in these communities, then they're not going to be able to help you or even know what to ask. I was recently on Instagram, and I know we don't get our help for people out there. We say don't use Dr. Google and don't use Dr. Instagram. But But, but if there's a doctor
0: that's on that, then that's okay.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was looking at an Instagram post, and there was a black nurse on there, and she was talking about how she works – on the labor and delivery unit mm-hmm. and she was getting sign out where basically the nurse who was overnight tells you what happened in the morning so they can keep the care flowing sure. so she was talking to the nurse and the nurse was saying oh i need to call a social worker because i'm concerned about the mental health of this mother because she's been patting hitting herself in the head all day and the nurse was like what she's like is she black she's like yeah she's like did she have um, on a weave, weave or some braids and she was like yeah and she's like, she's not crazy, like her hair Her scalp is, <laughs> is
0: That's all that that is. So,
2: yes. Yeah. So those <laughs> kinds of things are very important in, in increasing that cultural competency and just having people in our communities that can help advocate for us. And that all starts with voting.
0: Definitely. And, you know, and, and, and piggybacking on, on your, your, your very, very timely comments about voting, you know, we get really, really up in arms about who the president is. And, you know, mm-hmm. if I may say who the president is, Kind, it matters, but it kind of doesn't matter. But what's mm-hmm. more because, you know, the trickle down is, is not going to trickle down to you individually. Um, but what is very tremendously important is your local politics, because that is really what what changes and affects your day to day living. So paying attention to your who your mayor is, who's on your city council, who is your sheriff, your your tax commissioner, you know, all of those things that affect your that really truly do affect your day to day living. And then you can take it up to the 40,000 foot view of who the president is. You know, the the local elections, one of my Facebook uh, listeners just said local elections are the key. And yes, I I couldn't have said it better myself that they, they really, really are. So now let's switch into, because you are a telemedicine doctor. So yeah. now how, first of all, how does telemedicine work? Because I know a lot of us got exposed to it during the pandemic because, you know, we couldn't get into the doctor's offices. And so, you know, we used this technology, which I thought was amazing and great. Um, but now how does that work when we can only see patients you know and you can't touch them so are there certain mm-hmm. conditions that telemedicine works better for and some not so much
2: absolutely so telemedicine has been around honestly for decades mm-hmm. but as you mentioned a lot of people weren't exposed to it into the pandemic because we were kind of forced like can not really leave your house let's right. go online right so there are different ways that telemedicine works so It's kind of an umbrella term, but we're going to talk about it in the realm of just like primary care doctors and specialists at this point, because there are ways that you can be evaluated in the emergency room and all those crazy things. So we'll talk about it on just a very basic level. So as a lot of people may have experienced, now you have the option to video chat or voice chat or text your doctor, Mm -hmm. and it seems very convenient, and it is, because where there were barriers like we were talking about before where someone may have not been able to get into a doctor because they didn't have a babysitter Mm -hmm. or maybe they worked a very strange shift where they're working at Walmart overnight and every time it was time for a visit they had to have sleep or go to work or something like that so now we have more access and more availability to make an appointment there are some telemedicine organizations where it's connected with your primary care doctor so the doctor that you've been seeing this whole time they're like okay now we have telehealth visits you can make your visit here if i need to see you in person you can come in Mm -hmm. there are some other organizations like some that i've been working for where you don't necessarily have a primary care relationship with them they're a separate company where you either call video or text them. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily share your records with the other organizations and things like that. And they're awesome for things that are quick or acute or sure. or something where like you have a yeah. cold, you think you have a UTI, right. you may have a history of migraines and they're trying to help you. So they're very awesome you can get a lot of information, and it all comes down to basically how you present yourself and your information. Mm-hmm. And I have an article out there, if you guys wanted to Google it, that basically talks about the five things that you need to know in order to prepare yourself for a telehealth visit. So, one, know, like, tell them everything about it. Don't pretend they know you. Like, pretend you're talking to your right. best friend and give us all the details. It's right. not bothering us. We want to know every little last bit. And then on top of that, we want you to know your medications and what medical problems you've had in the past or you've had or what concerns you. And then we want you to kind of like, we'll ask you questions and things because a lot of times I say about 70% of those things that um, we, we need to diagnose you with anything kind of come from you telling us that story. So if we're listening, we're like, okay it's about 90% chance that they have heartburn or something like that. And we have different things that are pluses and minuses that kind of move that up. But there is that 25 to 30% where you need those extra pair of eyes in person. Mm -hmm. So never be offended if you've seen a doctor online and they're like, hey, we suggest you go to the urgent care or follow up with your primary care or go to the emergency room. It's because we have your best interest in mind and we want to make sure that you're okay and that we're not missing things sometimes you need to have your lungs listened to to make sure it's not a pneumonia versus something else like a a covid or something like that so you need that listened to sometimes you need your heart listened to to make sure you don't have a, a murmur now we have some things that can help us diagnose more things as telemedicine is becoming more popular So now they have some otoscopes, which are the little ear things that you see when you go to the doctor, or they'll put them in your kid's ear to see if you have an ear infection. Now they have some that you can hook up to the phone, or they'll have different, they do, or you can use your blood pressure cuff at home to kind of monitor that once Mm -hmm. it's controlled. Right. So there's a lot of things you can do in terms of follow-up, but I like to say that telemedicine is kind of an adjunct to primary care. Like, it's great to have, and I think that a lot of people can use it. And it's opening up access to a lot of people who may be in rural areas who may have to drive an hour or two to their local doctor exactly. or who may have those scheduled things and things like that, but it should never replace in-person care.
0: Good point. Good point. So, you know, one thing with with telemedicine, while it is increasing access to those outlying communities or communities that may have maybe may in medical deserts and such, um, but the technology piece is going to be you know is going to be the key so once again when we talk about you know tie it back into your local politics when we talk about broadband access so
2: mm-hmm. that
0: everyone has stable reliable internet service because if you don't have that, then the telemedicine service isn't really going to work out so well for you um, in some ways. Now, of course, the phones will work Absolutely. or whatever. But if you want it to video chat and that kind of thing, you need an Internet connection. So, you know, so making sure that you advocate for for strong broadband service within your community is one way that you can fight health inequity. And then, of course, you know, that Internet access ties into a whole lot of things with, you know, access to, um, you know, resources for doing homework for kids and that kind of thing. So, you know, as a community, you know, that, that one issue, um, you know, has tremendous positive impacts there. So now do you think that telemedicine will help close the health inequity gap? And if so, how so?
2: I definitely think it will help close that gap because one People are getting access that didn't have access. A lot of people who may not have insurance, a lot of them are minorities. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times where you couldn't get into the primary care or there are community health care centers that are wonderful, that can sometimes provide sliding scale fees, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's very expensive to even do that. So sure. for some things it's, it's wonderful to be able to get on an app and pay a fee. Some of them have where you can get the care the care that you need. Right. There are other things like where if you live in certain communities in terms of like inequities like people who are part of the LGBT community who may not feel comfortable getting something like prep to help pre- pr- to protect themselves from HIV right. and things like that. Right. There there are more companies that are coming forward that are kind of taking away those barriers. I used to work in an in-person clinic where we served a lot of LGBT patients who were transgender or who needed PrEP for HIV care and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing that was very surprising to me was that there are a lot of doctors out there who are showcasing their biases. I had one patient who would fly to me every three months from South Carolina because no doctor would serve him. Oh, wow. So having those barriers taken away, whereas he could have possibly gotten his labs done locally at the lab Mm core and called in virtually Mm -hmm. could have saved a lot of time and money. money. So so it's definitely an opportunity to decrease those barriers and to help patients feel more comfortable with their doctors, have that access and have that open communication.
0: Most certainly. Most certainly. And so, for the average person, because you know we're we're in the weeds, so you know we see this kind of thing you know every day. But for the average person, how do they recognize health inequity, and and what can they do to 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 improve this the state of health inequity in their either in their individual experience or um, within their families and within their communities? I
2: think conversations like this are important. So for those who are listening and still holding on, even though we may be talking about some things that you didn't necessarily <laughs> think that you needed to hear this right. morning, uh, kudos to you, like spread that conversation and Thank keep you. talking about it and keep learning. Then, in and, and when you're in the weeds, like you're saying, it's not something that people don't notice. I have a lot of family members who live in the inner city mm-hmm. who may not have the best care. And they, they notice when they feel like they're being slighted, I'll get some phone calls, mm-hmm. but Being in there and asking those questions and looking out for things that may not sound right. And sometimes a lot of people feel dismissed when they go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And I like to explain it like, you know, everyone has personalities. Right. So some people might not mess. So it's kind of like dating. Like you try one out, you try another. Although it may be get a little more difficult when you're in an area that's underserved because there may not be a lot of options. Sure. Sure. So you can't I wouldn't suggest like going to see a doctor once and say, oh, I don't like them. Let me go see another one. But just right. taking account into what you're experiencing. If you feel heard, if you feel like you're being dismissed, if you feel like you're being gaslit and just look a little more into that. And you may find more communities out there. You may find some telehealth companies who can help you or you may find some advocates out there who are working to help all different issues so there are a lot of patients who may have disorders where they're getting worked up and they're getting the runaround of seeing different specialists and there are no answers Mm -hmm. so just looking for those communities where there are people who are like-minded so we have we're living in a wonderful time where there's a lot of access to information right so information is power so if you have questions it's okay to look it up I, i know earlier i said no dr google but to have the guided <laughs> experience where if you look up some stuff and you have questions about it, bring those particular questions to your doctor and tell them what you're nervous of. They may tell you, like, okay, no, you don't have that, but you don't have that because of this. Right. And explaining more of that to you, and it can kind of reassure you that, like, okay, maybe I was looking a little too much.
0: Right, because listening to Dr. Google will make you think that you're dying. Mm-hmm. Everyone every, has every cancer. Time. Exactly. You just, you know, you have a paper cut, but they're going to tell you that the tip of your finger is going to fall off and there's nothing that can Mm -hmm. be done about it. If you listen to Dr. Google, he or she will scare you to death. And I will say, I'll just add on, um, you know, when you, if you feel like you are not having a good fit with your physician, um, you know, verbalize that, you know, of course, in in a way, right. Um, You know, to just say, you know, hey, I feel like you either don't understand where I'm coming from or what I'm saying. Um, because a lot of the times, you know, I, I don't think that any physician goes into medicine to hurt people or mm-hmm. to ignore people or to dismiss them, right? But, you know, because of perhaps a cultural incompetency, um, mm-hmm. you know, that we mishear and misunderstand each other because, you know, we're, we're both human beings on both sides of healthcare, right? The patients and, and your physicians as well. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. so you can have those little misunderstandings that with a simple conversation can be cleared up and can improve your doctor-patient relationship as well. Now, if you've, you've done all the things that you can do and the relationship is just not salvageable, then you just got to go and, and find someone, um, you know, you have to find your person, um, you know, like, the, like with the dating analogy. Um, but, you know, I just want to encourage people, you know, that there are plenty, plenty of good doctors out there and there is one or more for you. Yes. Dr. DeRuin, thank you so very much for joining us today. I look forward to having, I'm just sitting here thinking about other ways that I can invite you back to the show. Um, and I hope that you will uh, will give us a little bit more of your time. But at any time that you have something that you want to share, you have my contact information and we'll be more than happy to welcome you back. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Urqueda DeRuin, thank you so very much this is thank
2: you so much thank you for having me and i appreciate having this conversation thank you if you guys have any more questions i guess you could reach out to me on my website oh yes um www.d-r-e-r-k-e-d-a.com Dr. and i'm open to questions
0: and uh send me text me that link and also the link to that article and i'll share it on the medical minutes facebook page Thank you so much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We'll be right back after a short break.
1: Why choose Just for Pets Wellness Center? Compassionate pet care services featuring an experienced veterinary team to superior customer service in a caring and friendly environment. We offer individual attention and tailored treatment for each pet. Visit our website for more information at www.justthenumber4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721.
0: Welcome back. You are listening live to your favorite health and wellness radio show, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I am Dr. Carissa. That was a great, great session uh, with Dr. DeRuin about... Um, health equity and health inequity and the things that we can do about it and how we recognize it and how we can possibly fix it. Of course, that has to be an ongoing conversation, but it is one that you now know that you as an individual can be a part of. So we're going to close out today's show with our vitamin C. Um, And we're going to talk about small things done at a time because of course, Health inequity is not going to be wiped out with just one, with one paintbrush, right? Um, You know, there's going to be a series of steps uh, that have to happen in order for healthcare and for the world in general to just be better for all of us. And so I will leave you today with a quote from one of my favorite artists, Mr. Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together i'll let y'all marinate on that Alrighty. righty once again thank you so very much for tuning in and listening to us we will be back god willing next week with another fabulous show we have another guest lined up uh for you all and so until we meet again my friends be good to yourselves be good to each other take care This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week.